0: My name is Ben, and welcome to Headcanon, the podcast dedicated to exploring the vast reaches of cinematic universes that never were and never shall be. Every week on this podcast, I select a movie at random from a carefully curated list of some of the weirdest and most obscure movies I've never seen, I watch and review it, and then I try to imagine what it would be like if I was given the opportunity to expand it into a soulless, cash-grab multimedia franchise. I pitch sequels, prequels, spin-offs, crossovers, gritty reboots, TV shows, video games, and uh, even porn parodies except for this week. This is a special episode, Uh, every 10 episodes is sort of separated into a single block, sort of like a season, and between each season I do something like what I'm going to do today, where I watch uh, not just one movie but an entire franchise of multiple films And uh, and then I I analyze it as a sort of retrospective, and then uh, at the end, I I decide whether or not I actually want to go through the effort of of pitching out a cinematic universe for it. I I don't obligate myself to do it in these episodes, because these are much more effort-intensive. I have to watch multiple films. Sometimes I even have to split them into two parts. I haven't had to do that yet. This is only my second one of these so far. Uh, it's, It's episode... 21, technically. I don't keep these in the same numbering system, but anyway, uh, so that's what's gonna be happening today. I'm gonna be watching, uh, in this case, three films, a trilogy, and I haven't actually watched any of them yet, so I don't know how I'm gonna feel about them by the end, if I'm gonna feel even inspired enough to do what I I normally do, pitch out the cinematic universe. The first one of these I did, it was on a, a Japanese trilogy of cyberpunk films, the Tetsuo trilogy, Tetsuo the Iron Man, Tetsuo Body Hammer and Tetsuo the Bullet Man, and going into it, I I didn't really feel like I was gonna, I was gonna make the effort, but then by the end, I was so inspired by the films, most of which, at least the first two of which I I very much enjoyed, that I decided to actually uh, go along with, with pitching out the sequel and the prequel and so forth. This week, I got The Mangler. Which, if you've never heard of this movie, it's based on a Stephen King short story, and it was a, a movie that came out in 1995, inspired by said short story. Apparently, the short story is only 10 pages long, so they had to add a lot of shit to it to make it into a, a feature-length film, and then they made two more. Did you even know there were three fucking Mangler movies? Because I didn't until I looked it up, and turns out there are, so I put it... Uh, originally, it was just on my regular list, but then I found out there were so many sequels that it only qualified for my special franchise episode, and I picked it at random. Uh, evidently, it evolved into something similar to... I, mean, I don't even really mean about similar to Tetsuo. Well, I was going to say it's somewhat in the cyberpunk genre, I think. I'm not entirely sure about that, but the poster for Mangler 2, which apparently has Lance Henriks in it, in it, so it might be okay, uh, it, has, it seems very... I mean, you could uh say it looks like a Tetsuo movie actually uh, it's you know a, lot, a guy connected to by a lot of wires I, I haven't even done any research on on any of the sequels I've only kind of looked up the first one and uh I, so I, I really don't know what I'm getting into there except I've heard that they're I mean I've heard that this movie is shitty and they're even shittier so uh that's what I'm saying by the end of this I don't know I don't know if I'm gonna have the strength to uh, to imagine what the the multimedia franchise of the Mangler will be, uh, but who knows? I mean, I'm a huge Stephen King fan, and I love Good King, I love Bad King. I mean, I obviously don't blame him for the uh, the shittiness of some of the movies that are adapted from his work. There's also you know a very definitive, distinct Stephen King style that can often lead to what do you want to say over the top uh, adaptations. It's, it's sometimes the seeds of it are in the source material is what i'm saying you know i don't know if there was really a way to make like the understated slow burn tommy knockers miniseries so again i I just i don't know what i'm getting into it could be it could be good it could be bad it could be good bad it could be bad bad who knows Um, it's directed by toby hooper the first one is anyway the sequels obviously aren't and i mean it's kind of weird that that even this one is directed by toby hooper who i guess Maybe I assign more prestige to that name than other people do. I, I guess looking at his filmography, it, I mean, I, I go over them to see if there are any other ones on the list that I might might do later on. And and I guess he wasn't as uh, what do you want to say. Uh, prestigious as, as, as maybe I remember him to be he, he did a lot of shit is what I'm saying obviously most well known for the Texas on massacre series which I, I'll probably do eventually on this this franchise segment but a lot of other stuff eaten alive uh, a killer alligator movie uh, the fun house which is I think like a deformed freak killing people in a fun house uh, life force which I'm a little hesitant to do because they did it on how did this get made but it's a, a, a naked vampire movie which I saw it years ago when I was like in high school and uh I mean there's there's enough naked French lady in it that you know, maybe I'll just I'll I'll violate my various roles that might preclude it from being on the list and watch it anyway. Spontaneous Combustion, where Brad Dorf, the guy who plays Chucky, can set people on fire. Uh, there's Night Terrors, which I, I think also has Robert England in it. Uh, the Mangler, if I, I didn't mention that, has Robert England in it. Uh, I think he's playing the Marquis de Sade, even. So that sounds kind of interesting. And and then his last movie, he died last year, actually uh, just over a year ago as of this recording. And he did a movie called Dejin or Jin. I don't know how you pronounce that. It's the evil genie, uh, and I, I assume kills people. I, I I vaguely remember the trailer for it, and it, it didn't look uh, too good. Uh, but anyway, that's that's Toby Hooper. And, I mean, I'm not even a huge Texas Chainsaw fan, honestly. At least the original. I, I love the second one, which is a parody of the first one. And, I, I mean, I, I like Life Force. I like uh, his remake of, the Inva- of Invaders from Mars, which the only reason it's not on my list is because I've already recorded a podcast about it with my brother for my other podcast. It's called Saturday Night Jive. You can look it up on iTunes. And uh, so I've already talked about that, so I'm not going to return to it. But, yeah, looking forward to a lot of shitty Toby Hooper movies to talk about. And maybe this is one of them. The Mangler from 1995 directed by Toby Hooper. I'm going to pause the podcast here and I'm going to uh come back and I'm going to tell you what I think. There's a little bit of me in that machine and a little bit of it in me. There was an accident today. The worst one I've ever seen. Have you considered the possibility that the machine might be haunted? machine killed your daughter. We all have to make sacrifices. Human sacrifices. A demon is a kind of electricity. Sometimes it gets out of control. People get hurt. Three modern masters of horror have just created the ultimate machine for terror. And I'm back, and I've watched The Mangler from 1995, the first of my Mangler trilogy episode, and I am both afraid of what is to come, and kind of weirdly delighted by what I have just seen. I think I loved this shitty movie, and make no mistake, it is a shitty movie, but it is so much fun, and it it wallows in its shittiness, it is unapologetic in its shittiness, and you know, I've said this many times in this podcast, I'm not a so-bad-it's-good guy. I'm not a guy that appreciates movies ironically. I just have really, really terrible taste in movies, so I appreciate a lot of movies that other people appreciate ironically, and I appreciate them unironically. I've said this many times... Zardoz John Borman Zardoz one of my favorite movies and not because all oh, isn't it goofy that they say you know the penis is evil and he's wearing a red thong I go like wow what heady science fiction all the the ideas in this movie and the world building is so brilliant that's me and maybe that says everything you need to know about whether or not my recommendation means anything to you about a movie and I will fucking recommend the Mangler by Toby Hooper not not in the same vein. I'm not saying this is like literate horror or anything close to it or I, I got anything from this movie in that sense. It is, it's insane. It, it it's. This is not a good example, but I, I was going to say Dead Alive if you've ever seen that movie, just the craziness of that movie. This comes nowhere near that, but I, I kind of got that same just sense of childlike glee watching this movie unravel. And I say unravel very deliberately. I could have said unfolded. You know, as if it it was unveiling itself and in, in a very deliberate way. no, this movie unravels, but it seems to do so deliberately and it's it it is very Goofy, and I, I want to say it's Goofy on purpose. That's something about Toby Hooper that I think is often underrated. His his comedic sense. I think because he started with Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and everybody associates him with that. And if not that, the only other reference point would be Poltergeist. That's uh, I think I forgot to mention that. I'll probably watch Poltergeist eventually, or the 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 franchise rather. Uh, Maybe not because the 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 remake was fucking terrible. I don't even want to revisit it. Yeah, those are kind of the two reference points for Toby Hooper, and they're both relatively serious movies. Poltergeist less so than Texas Chainsaw, and most people haven't even seen Texas Chainsaw 2, or Life Force, which has a lot of goofy stuff in it, or Invaders from Mars, which is obviously a very kitschy sort of remake of a, a, an old-school 50s sci-fi movie. You know, uh, Toby Hooper had a sense of humor, and it almost always showed up in his movies, and I would argue it shows up in the original Texas Chainsaw. It, that was just so, you know, so well-known for its, its grittiness and its, its gritty realism that people... They don't look at the structure of that movie, which is one of the reasons why I'm not a huge fan of it, but I feel like it was it was on purpose and it was it was kind of a joke, the idea that it's like so cyclical. You have a guy, or a girl, in, uh, in the, I think the first case, goes into a, a creepy place and gets killed. And then their friend goes, where'd my girl go? Goes into that creepy place to find her, gets killed. Then, guy in a wheelchair, where'd my two friends go? Maybe they're in this creepy house. Goes in, gets killed. That's It's a repetitive structure that always... Kind of leaves me cold, but I don't think it was accidental. I don't think it was bad filmmaking. I think it was Toby Hooper almost, if not deconstructing uh, a genre that he was almost. Simultaneously creating Uh, I mean it was around That's the thing The the slasher thing He didn't invent it But he he kind of reinvented it And I think he was also Commenting upon it In in a certain sense Maybe I'm just Completely out of left field On that that theory But uh, Just given his later work Where he, He always kind of Understood what he was doing When he was making Light of things I think that was present there It's certainly present In the sequel Which is just Fucking balls out crazy Guy gets stabbed In the ass with a chainsaw And complains about His hemorrhoids I think I've even referenced that scene on another episode of this podcast. It's just so fucking insane. Feeding people, human chili. All around, I would recommend, certainly, Texas Chainsaw, Texas Chainsaw 2. I can't really speak to the other ones. I don't really remember them that well. Uh, And the the new ones kind of just all blend together for me. But sorry, that's a distraction. Back to The Mangler. Uh, This movie knows exactly what it is. There is no subtlety whatsoever in this movie. It starts out in the most sort of Orwellian... Industrial atmosphere that you've ever seen in a movie outside of like Joe versus the Volcano or, or Metropolis, and those are two movies that probably shouldn't be said in the same sentence. But you get into you go into this place it's a laundromat. It's an industrial laundromat where they have this giant uh, industrial folding machine. That's what the titular Mangler is. And if you don't know uh, anything about this movie, the premise is that that machine, which is a giant stationary thing, it's not a thing that can move, or or would seem to be a threat unless you're reaching your arm into it long past the point where there are safety bars and things that might sever it. It's not an active process, this this machine, like in the say, sense that uh, maybe like a car is. Like Christine, for example. Christine gets possessed by a ghost and it's a car. It can run people over. It can kill people. This is a laundry press and it gets possessed by the devil and at some point you're just like, well, okay, just don't go near it then, you know? And, and that's one of the things about this movie is people keep jumping into this fucking laundry press and... I mean, there's more to the mythology, and I'll get to it because I actually kind of like the mythology of this movie, and there's a, I think it justifies itself for the most part. It gets silly when it gets into the, the minutiae, into the details of it, mostly because I think it, it goes back and forth and kind of forgets its own mythology, or rather, it can't settle on one thing, it wants to be a couple different things all at once, and it, it doesn't really mesh well, but for the most part, I, I, I think I enjoyed kind of the world of this movie, but There's just that that feeling of, well, just don't fucking put your hand in that thing. And the movie goes out of its way to construct these incredibly convoluted, uh, just... Bullshit reasons for why people might fall into this or have their hand cut off in it, and and that's a big part of the story. Is it's not just that your hand gets cut off. Once it does, it's sort of like a like an ancient demonic pact. Like it's a sacrifice of your flesh to the machine, and then you're supposed to get positive things out of it. But you have to keep sacrificing. And so there's all these people that are amputees, and that becomes relevant later as that becomes more of a conspiracy sort of angle. But like, you'll have moments where, like, somebody went cut, and then they'll bleed onto the machine, and all that's ominous because there's something supernatural going on, and then a woman will drop her antacid pills, and she's reaching for them it's like, dude, just fucking buy another bottle! But no, she's gotta reach for it and get her arm cut off and run through, and then... about halfway through the movie, they just kind of give up on the pretense of needing a reason for people to fall into the machine. So they're just like, if you're walking by this machine, you're gonna trip on some water or something and fall into the machine or just trip on nothing. They're not even gonna justify it. It's just gonna be, oh no, you're near the machine? It's gonna eat you. It didn't go forward and like jump at you. Later on, it grows arms and shit and it can grab you. But for most of the movie, it's just like, yeah, people fall into fucking laundry machines all the time, right? That makes total sense. So you have to get past that. Or maybe not. Maybe you don't even need to get past that. Maybe that's just part of the fun of it, that it's it's kind of fucking dumb, because the movie knows that it's dumb. And, yeah, I mean, that, that extends to the performances as well. I mentioned Robert England is in the movie, and he, at least, he knows what the fuck he's doing. This is, it's right after, I think, pretty much right after he stopped doing Freddy movies, other than, like, Freddy vs. Jason. I think the main series was pretty much over by this point, or at least close to being over. It might have been, like, New Night- Nightmare or, uh, what was the one... Uh, Anyway, New Nightmare was the the one with Wes Craven when he came back. So yeah, maybe that hadn't been made yet, I'm not sure. But I think Freddy's Dead or whatever the last one was before that had been made. So this was him kind of branching out into something else and... I'm gonna maybe maybe when I come back for for Mangler too, I'll I'll talk about his filmography and the, the stuff I have on his list. I didn't want to read through it because there's so many fucking movies, so many horror movies, so many sci-fi movies, so much stuff that Robert Englund's done that fits perfectly for my podcast. He did a version of Phantom of the Opera that where he like he looks like Freddy Krueger, but it's Phantom of the Opera. Uh, he did a bunch of movies, and I'm not even gonna go into that. But but Robert Englund in this movie. I mean, he makes the movie. He's so much fun. He he knows exactly what he's doing, and he's just so insane. I mean, literally insane. His character is, is is an insane person, but just the performance is so over the top and fun. He plays the owner of the laundromat, Bill Gartley, I think is his name. And and it, it, there's a weird thing. He's got. I mentioned like the amputee thing. He has these leg braces, and he walks on crutches. But I don't know if it's meant to indicate that those are not his real legs. Like, maybe he lost both of his legs because he sacrificed them to the machine. He also has one, like, milky eye, which I don't know if it's a fake eye. Like, he plucked his own eye out. Uh, but otherwise, it doesn't seem like he's amputated. I don't know if they show his hands, because a lot of them, they lose fingers. But no, he's it's either that, or it's just a, a function of him being sickly, because they mention that as well. And that's one of those things where it's like, they're kind of going in multiple directions, and they're kind of mutually exclusive, where is it just a matter of sacrifice, or does it also make you ill? Uh, he has a protege who's, well, it's actually a, a woman that he's sleeping with that he hired basically to sleep with, like as his personal prostitute, I think. But then eventually, she loses a hand, and then she, or a finger. And she mentions, mentions like she's starting to feel sick. And Robert England implies, or Bill Gartley implies that that's a part of the curse as well, that, you know, you'll get, you'll get rewarded for your sacrifice, but you're also a part of the machine and it's a part of you. So you'll, you'll feel sickly. So I don't know if maybe that's why he's crippled the way he is, or if it's meant to show an amputation, which I feel like they would have been more explicit about that if that was the case. But I, so I think it should be that because that's the case for everybody else, except there's also this element of the, the full-on ritual sacrifice, which, is when I go back to, to what I like about the movie, Yeah, I'll talk about that, because I feel like there is sort of an explanation for if it... I don't want to say it makes sense, but it justifies itself, this being a, a killer laundry press possessed by the devil. I feel like there is a, a, a narrow interpretation, in which that is not as dumb as it sounds. Uh, but before that, I want to talk about Ted Levine is also in this movie. Ted Levine, who you uh, will probably know from Silence of the Lambs. He plays Buffalo Bill, the the guy who puts the lotion... Well, he doesn't put the lotion on the skin. He demands that the lotion be put on the skin. And then he tucks his penis in and, and does a dance in front of the mirror. That guy. And I... Ted Levine... I mean, to say he's not... I wouldn't say he's one of my favorite character actors, but I think he's a very underappreciated actor. I think he's often dismissed because of that iconic role. People can't necessarily see him in anything else. Like, like I, I loved him on Monk. He was the the police chief. I, I loved him in Jurassic World Two just recently, just this year, or he he was the dumbest dinosaur hunter ever. Uh, I, I think he's a he's a great actor, but I think people just kinda think, oh Buffalo Bill, it puts the lotion on the skin and they don't they don't really allow him to be anything else. And he plays the crotchetiest cop in the world in this movie. He's that he's well, he's the cop that's in every eighties and nineties movie, just you know, I'm grizzled and I, I hate my life and you know, I don't dress up like a cop, my badge is dirt like he's the Oscar Madison cop, even though I Madison wasn't cop you know that kind of gruff you know crotchety cop and uh he does it perfectly I mean he's he's challenging his his superiors who are ultimately in on the conspiracy and by the end of this movie uh, him and his friend who just happens to know about the occult for some reason that's never explained are performing an exorcism on the laundry machine throwing holy water at it and feeding it bibles and crosses Uh, Great fucking character, especially for a Stephen King character. You know, I think talking about just the unsubtlety of the film, I feel like Toby Hooper and Stephen King were kindred spirits in that regard. Neither of them were necessarily... Well, Stephen King is still functioning, obviously, still working. uh, But neither of them appreciate subtlety, necessarily. and, And that works to this movie's benefit. It redounds to its benefit 100%, as far as I'm concerned. Because for something this dumb at a conceptual level know yeah. something where the logline of the movie should have just been rejected out of hand. If you're gonna go through with it, and this is one of those things where you know Stephen King was just like printing money as far as adaptations at that point. Anything Stephen King wrote could be adapta- adapted into a movie. They did Lawnmower Man, which had nothing to do with the short story, but you just put the name of a short Stephen King short story onto another movie about virtual reality, and you get it made. So that's that. This was the arena where the Mangler was being made, and I think we're probably gonna return to that in a little bit because a lot of his adaptations have been kind of getting. More successes they've been being remade in recent years, but uh, I don't know if they're ever gonna remake the Mangler. I'm gonna maybe pitch a remake eventually at, at some point in this episode, but uh, but yeah, this was in that period, and you just have to go all out if it's if it's this dumb, just make it dumb and just have fun making it dumb, and that's what this movie does. And I, I want to get to the the kind of conspiracy or mythology angle to it because like I said it's a ritual sacrifice and they never really specify like what is being requested by the the creature I mean they imply that that everybody has to get a limb cut off and every, and there're multiple people you see with limbs cut off and that's an indication of them being part of it but Robert England's character also has to sacrifice his daughter well he did it prior to the movie and that's what gave him his sort of his success his riches even though he has to live life like a weird crippled guy with a milky eye and and crutches I don't know if that was the the machines doing or if that was just the hardship of his life Uh, I think it implies that it was just you know shit happens and and you know he wasn't protected from that because there are other people other prominent people in the city that have also done this they've also sacrificed their kids to this machine and you know they've gotten successful as a result I think they imply the mayor and the police chief and everybody and I feel like again how stupid this is That's kind of clever, the idea that there's just the modern equivalent of the satanic pit, the place where in in bygone days you might have gone to like a volcano and tossed somebody, speaking of Joe versus the volcano, into a volcano, or well tossed a virgin in or something, and they all have to be virgins of course, which uh, I don't know how this would work in today's day and age where nobody's a fucking virgin, I think that was actually the premise of uh, Hocus Pocus, wasn't it? Where like it was so hard to find virgins, and ultimately Omri Katz's character was a virgin. Uh, but anyway, normally like that that was a that was a thing. There's a, a cultural touchstone for that, for just the 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 fiery pit, uh, whereupon you sacrifice people, and the fact that in modern day it's it's a machine rather than a pit. And it just happens to be a launch I mean, a laundry machine is as arbitrary as a volcano. It's just somewhere where you throw somebody into a th- thing and it dies, and as a result, you make a pact with some infernal entity. I think that's kind of interesting, and and the fact that you can tie that to civics and a small town's economy and say that you know all these sort of party elders and are 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 worshiping at the altar of this device, this this. Function of industry, I, I think that that works. It tracks. It ties together well. Even as you say, living laundry press possessed by the devil, and you go, that's dumb. The the, the world is cohesive enough, uh, cohesive enough that it works, as far as I'm concerned. And it's just it's it presents a lot of interesting thematic weight. You know, again going back to the unsubtlety of the movie, did I mention there's a sign in the laundromat? that just, that says labor will set you free, which was the motto of Auschwitz, the, the fucking Holocaust concentration camp. That's in this movie. I mean, the, 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 the the whole idea of like the haves and the have nots and, and just the, the, the way that, that, capitalism and industry fucks over the little guy and you know Robert England will talk about like we all need to make sacrifices but the implication is he never loved his daughter that he's basically breeding to create the sacrifice but really it's we all have to make sacrifices of other people and that's the idea is like the, these in, these industrial types these these capitalists if you ask them they will say I'm doing it for you know for the, the the city or for the system and we, Br- Barbara England even mentions like haven't you ever questioned why this town is so idyllic and peaceful it's because we made this deal so he's justifying it and saying like I'm doing this for the people but really he's doing it for himself and trying to skirt responsibility you know if it's a real sacrifice why not sacrifice himself for the town but no it's it has to be his virginal daughter daughter and later niece that he's sort of raised for this purpose because it's never it's never gonna touch them it's 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 al- he's always going to choose him and that's very explicit that's not me reading into that he they even bring that up they talk about that where he says you know it's either me or you and i am always going to choose me and so like just stuff like that and again, you, you can't really be subtle when you're doing that. You have to just be blunt and throw it in the audience's face. And I love that this movie did that. I mean, I'm a, a Bernie Sanders-style democratic socialist, so that's this is all right up my alley. And, I mean, Stephen King, I imagine, is a fairly liberal guy as well. I don't know if he's as liberal as I am, if he goes that far. But uh, I think all of this coalesced and came together in a way that just really, like, it touched all of my, my, uh, I was was gonna say, like, cinematic erogenous zones? That's, that's kind of personal, I guess, but, but no, I just, I love the crap out of this movie despite itself. I recognize how bad it is, how, or maybe bad isn't even the right word. I recognize how unconventional it is, and I don't want to say that, like, it defies convention as if that's always a good thing. Like, this is a movie that is for a very weird, eclectic taste, and if you said this was the dumbest thing you'd ever seen and you hated it, I would be like, yeah, you were probably supposed to. Like, you were not the person for this movie. You know, It's so niche, and I just happen to be nestled right in that niche. So when I say like I would recommend it, I would recommend it to you if the things I'm saying sound interesting to you, if... It seems like you have the same weird taste that I do. You're gonna love this, but otherwise, you're probably not not even gonna. It's it's probably not even gonna be a love uh, like a mediocre thing for you. It's gonna be love or hate. And, and so, if if this sounds like awful to you, it's going to be. And, and and I'm not even gonna say it's like it's. I mean, I'm definitely not gonna say it's perfect. There's so many just weird and i think part of the part of it is because they had to expand it and add so much shit like the whole conspiracy angle with the the town elders and everything that's not even in the short story they had to add that and i feel as far as i'm concerned that's the most interesting part but as a result of that a lot of stuff feels like out of place like you have that established and robert england will bring out like this contract that he signed with the devil essentially So this was obviously a thing that's been going on for a long time and it was pre-planned. But then, like, the whole movie kind of implies that it was a confluence of accidental events where, like, a fridge crashed into the machine and caused the lady to spill blood on it and the antacid tablets that went into it had belladonna, which was an ingredient... Basically, all of these ingredients... Uh, in in a spell that was inadvertently performed on this machine to leave it open for demonic possession. And I believe that is closer to the plot of the book, but they try to do both of them at once and they don't fit together. It's either one or the other. Either this was a machine created for this demonic purpose or it was a machine that was just accidentally you know, turned into this demonic purpose, but the movie wants to do both of those things and it can't. And in order to, to square that circle, it has to add a lot of other weird shit. Like there's this, this thread in the movie where the guy that takes pictures at crime scenes is like an old friend of Ted Levine's character. And you find out later, his name is JJJ picture man. But like, as if that's his actual name, like somehow he's, his name is picture man. And he, he grew up to be a guy who takes pictures. And he seems to know all about the conspiracy and they have like these like, multiple scenes where he's like hinting at it and then later on he, he dies and I don't know if it's implied that he was killed by the, the same demonic forces controlling the mangler because it can also possess other things like the, the fridge I talked about. They deliver it to somebody and it's possessed by a ghost and it kills a kid. It suffocates him and almost breaks a guy's arm. And and so like it can it can expand out, but I don't know if that's if it was just a coincidence that the guy died. But then later on, like as he's dying, he's like, "Go into my office. I left you a present." And then Ted Levine goes into his office and finds this wrapped like uh, scrapbook where it, it has uh, all these these articles of all the other town elders' kids either dying or disappearing. Enough where you would question like, why did nobody else question this? I guess they're in control of that. I guess so. Maybe the newspaper guy's in on it as well. Uh, but. He put. That's how he puts it together. He's like all these people, their daughters have gone missing, and you know I, the Robert England's character said something about we all have to make sacrifices, and his daughter died, and they all died on their sixteenth birthday. So then that's how he sort of puts it together. He already knows there's something supernatural going on, so that's sort of uh, where they the way they get to it. But then later on, like they after the, everything goes down, I'll talk about the third act in a like, sec because the third act is fucking balls crazy. Uh, but everything goes down, and they they have to have like an arch ending where he gets a letter in the mail from JJJ Picture Man, a posthumous letter, as if, like, well, maybe if that scrapbook didn't help you enough, like, if you didn't figure it out, I'll just write you a letter explaining everything in a couple of sentences that I could have also easily told you as I was dying, where I just basically flat out say, hey, uh, this is a demon possessing this thing and all the town elders have been sacrificing their kids to it. Don't trust anyone who's missing limbs because they're probably in on it. And that's the a, a thing. You, you see a character who you thought was innocent who now has a missing limb and has given themselves over to the machine after it's uh, you know it's still functioning. And, well, they disable it or think they have and then it, they he, he's surprised to find it's back and, and it's because this character has turned. But it's like, well, again, why didn't you just say that? Why did you need to have like two different ways of telling him that that don't involve you just telling him that considering you know that thing and then just what people know and how they come to know it like I mentioned his friend who happens to know about the occult well one it's it's his brother-in-law his wife died I guess in a car accident and Ted Levine's character feels responsible for it and but he's still friends with the brother-in-law with his wife's brother and and he's you know he's like it's not your fault you you know it was just a thing that happened And this guy just happens to be a guy who knows all about magic and demon possession. Where like most of the the time in a movie like this, you go to find that person after you get indications of the supernatural, you know, in Ghost with Patrick Swayze. They go to find Whoopi Goldberg because it's like, I think there might be a ghost in my house. And she's like, yeah, there is. And it's Patrick Swayze and you're going to fuck at the end. You know, that's that's how you do that. You don't just happen to know a guy that knows how to tell you everything that's going to happen in the movie before any of it happens that's really dumb and so there there are a lot of really dumb things like that in the movie and i mentioned the the character turn it comes out of nowhere and only serves to to basically end the movie on like an outer limitsy kind of note and like it it doesn't really track logically if you're thinking about it for more than 5 minutes but, again, that that's so much of the movie, but I don't care, because it was so much fun, and there were so many moments of just somebody, like, standing near the thing and falling into it arbitrarily and losing an arm or dying. And then, the, like I said, the third act, where they're trying to exercise the creature... And I'm just going to spoil this. So spoilers, if you don't want to be spoiled for this movie, all hell breaks loose. They fuck up. They don't actually know about the belladonna from the antacids. So they're assuming it's a, a specific kind of demonic possession and they bring the ritual for that. And they casually mention that, well, it's a good thing that this didn't have belladonna as one of the ingredients because otherwise there's no, like, what we're doing would only make it worse. And so it turns out he's he, they're like, they think they've killed it and then they're eating the antacids and they go, hey, what what's in these? What's uh oh belladonna and then the the guy the occult guy just goes we're fucked and then the machine the mangler comes to life and now it can move because they've made it even worse and it grabs robert england and just folds him like it would a sheet and just like folds a human being and then it grabs the occult guy and cuts him in half and it's chasing after him and i'll credit the movie it's it's early or mid 90s cgi and it works enough. I mean, it's it doesn't look good, but they keep it in shadow enough where it doesn't fall prey to what a lot of 90s movies that were experimenting with CGI fall prey to. It's not like the Spawn cape scenario where it just like, looked maybe looked good at the time, but looks terrible now. I don't know that that even looked good at the time. People lauded it at the time because they didn't know any better. But this, they they knew that. It's not that it looked good but they knew that it looked shitty so they knew enough to kind of shroud it in quick cuts and shadow and and so it, it worked for what it is you get the 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 sense of what's happening you it's conveys it enough that this is a thing that is now a creature that's moving you get one really shitty shot where it has like an eyeball like a like a snake eye but other than that I feel like it gets its point across and it's like I said it's just so fun that you don't care about the seams and the chinsiness that's showing or at least if you're like me, you're you're buying it now. And 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 I, I bought this movie. It sold me on its craziness and its stupidity and it's and it's just, just balls to the wall insanity. And yeah, like I said, if if any of this sounds interesting to you, I'm definitely recommending this. So I'm gonna pause the podcast here and I'm gonna watch The Mangler Two which I've heard nothing but terrible things about, but then I heard nothing but terrible things about this movie, so who knows? Maybe I'm going to enjoy this too. Uh, I apologize in advance if when I come back, I'm going to sound different because I'm going to reposition myself. So if I'm even in a slightly different uh, position relative to the mic, often my, my voice sounds different. So if that happens, that's why. So and that I'm sure that's going to happen a lot on these where I have to step away from the mic multiple times in order to uh, watch the multiple movies so anyway, I'm going to pause this I'm going to come back and I'm going to tell you what I think about Mangler 2 fellow staff and students of the Royal Collegiate College a brand new high-tech computer security system the N2K what about the security risk of me escaping from this prison? The school is now equipped with an array of sensors and cameras. It's all about Big Brother. I am so scared. We all need a Big Brother's protection now and then. Mangler virus. Oh, Mangler, you're my hero. Mangler virus my Oh, my God. Thank you. Something strange is going on. Come here. Lay it on me. Crazy, crash the system. No, it's a trap. Ah! Ah! Try to kill us. And I'm back, and I've just watched Mangler 2, and again, I apologize if uh, I sound a little differently. I've had to shift positions relative to the mic, and even subtle changes can make big differences, I've found. But anyway, I've watched Mangler 2, and I know that I have. I know for a fact that the movie I just watched was Mangler 2, because at the beginning of the movie, there was a title card, and it said Mangler 2. You know, like you do in movies, you see, you know, they have the title, and they have the actors and the directors, and it says what the movie is, and this one said, Mangler 2. And had it not said that, at the beginning of the movie, I would not have known at all that this was a sequel to The Mangler. It has absolutely fucking nothing to do with the original, other than the fact that the the villainous creature that is attacking these teenagers in this early 2000s horror movie, and I, I say that only because it's got that fucking shitty Kevin Williamson... Ugh, oh, fucking dialogue and so okay I, I i'm i'm drifting i'm 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 babbling because I, this i'm going to be all over the place in this review the the thing that's stalking them is called the mangler but the thing that's stalking them is a computer virus that at no point is ever even implied to be remotely demonic which if you remember from just a couple of minutes ago when i was talking about the first mangler movie is the point of The Mangler. It's a demon possessing technology. In that case, a laundry machine. In this case, it's not a demon. It's just a computer virus that takes control of a high-tech school. I say high-tech. It's This is a low-budget movie, and their ability to, to show high-tech stuff is basically a bunch of cameras that turn on their own and some wires that pick up shit via telekinesis, I think. I don't even know really how it works. That's another... Okay, I'm going to say that's another problem with this movie. This movie is nothing but problems. This This is the worst movie I've watched for this podcast. I never thought that I'd get one that would overthrow The Invisible Maniac. Well, actually, that's not true. I'm sure it would have happened eventually. I didn't think it would happen this soon. Uh, Robin and the Dreamweavers came close. Uh, Project Metal Beast was almost a tie, but at least it had Barry Bostwick, and I liked him in it. This, this has no redeeming values whatsoever in... I mean, and I kind of like The Mangler. I feel insulted by this movie as a fan of The Mangler. And I was, at best, a a, a fan full of caveats of that movie. But, my God, this... And to say it's low-budget, I've seen a lot of low-budget movies that, that, that take their low-budget and make it work. That's never an excuse for me for a movie being bad. A movie's bad when the people behind it don't care or just aren't good enough to do what they're supposed to do with a movie, even a movie that has no budget. Uh, it... Primer has an incredibly small budget. Great movie. You know, they, they, they did a lot with very little. And that's just one example off the top of my head. This movie... Lance Henriksen is in this movie. And if you don't know Lance Henriksen, he was in Pumpkinhead, the original, and also some of the sequels. He wasn't in the second one, but I, I can only assume he was filming something else at the time, or they didn't want him, because he seems like one of those actors that'll do everything. Whatever's asked of him. He's in like Hellraiser 8, I think, or one of the one of the later ones. That, that was just like a different script that they turned into a Hellraiser movie. And I, I think that's what happened here as well. I think this—I well, don't think this was a Mangler sequel. I think this was a completely different script. But anyway, Lance Hendrickson is in it. And he wasn't the original choice for the, the character. And he's the character that ultimately personifies the Mangler where the virus kidnaps him and puts diodes in his head and sort of speaks through him. And he's a very small role. You see him in the, He's the headmaster of the school and... And then later on, he gets killed and he becomes the Mangler. But in between, he kind of disappears and it's just the machine doing stuff. But originally, this role was offered to Malcolm McDowell, who turned it down. And just think about that for a second. Malcolm McDowell, the guy who did Tank Girl and Fist of the North Star and the fourth Lex movie, turned this movie down. And, you know, who knows? Maybe it was another thing where, like, he was filming something else. But I, it sounded like, from what I read, that he, like, he read the role and went, nope for Mike for Malcolm McDowell to say no to something and don't and that's this isn't an insult about Malcolm McDowell I, I, lo- I love him as an actor but he is not picky when it comes to the roles he choose he was in the remake of Silent Night Deadly Night playing the sheriff in a town with a killer Santa Claus Ugh. he not only did he turn it down but Lance Henriksen took the role and he's phoning it in and the thing that I respect so much about Lance Henriksen is that Even even the shittiest movies, he doesn't phone it in. Even in Hellraiser Eight, he's having fun with it. This movie, he can't even have fun with this material. He is even compelled to 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 drop his professionalism and just sleepwalk his way through it. That is how fucking terrible this movie is. And I I think it's funny. And I'm not the first one to make this observation. Apparently, a lot of people have said this. This is sort of like the lawnmower man thing where it's like they took a different idea and just slapped a Stephen King name onto it. And ironically enough, you know lawnmower man, they, they it, it was just about like a, it's like a flowers for Algernon thing and they added sort of cyberpunk stuff to it. This adds cyberpunk stuff to the mangler. And I guess there's the loose thematic thread of you know technology run amuck. But again, there's no demonic influence, and it's just that the virus is called the Mangler. It's, well, it's the Mangler 2.0. What was 1.0? Was that the laundry thing? Was it Was it not a demon after all? Was it a vi- a computer virus the whole time that somehow got in that thing that wasn't even a computer? It was like an antique laundry folder machine? I, I think that's the implication, but there are a whole lot of implications that, that this movie makes that I don't think were intended, uh, which is that even a possible thing. I think implications have to be intended, but uh, this movie is just a mess all over the place. It's... And I, I feel like the only reason they connected it to the Mangler, other than they already had a property that they owned that they could possibly milk some some profit out of, and it's a Stephen King thing, I think the only real reason they, they called this the Mangler, well, there's two reasons. One, technically a lot of the kills you could say that, that it's the victims are being mangled, I guess. There's a girl that I think gets sucked into a washing machine at one point. It's very unclear. A lot of the deaths are, are very poorly conceived and poorly presented. But there's that. And I also just think that that they had to to justify. They had to imply demonic possession, though. I don't know why they wouldn't have just explicitly stated this to explain why the computer can do everything it's doing. Because after a while, there is no explanation for like like if you're if you're saying that it's a computer virus that is taking control of this thing and turning it towards evil and using it to kill. It's th- therefore it's not magical. That means that it. It has to be bound by the logic of what the things that it's controlling can do. Like, the original Mangler, the laundromat, by the end, it, it, like, grows arms out of metal and grabs people and shit, and it crawls away and starts, you know, eating people. But it's it's magical. It's a demon. So that's like, okay, that, that can happen. Sure, it's magic. You don't have to explain it. This isn't that. So when wires start moving independently of their own accord, when a wire can, like, become a prehensile tendril and grab an axe and axe somebody the only explanation for that is something supernatural that wire even controlled by an evil technological device cannot move independently it cannot function on its own as a limb and all around that that like one of them comes down as a noose and hangs the only explanation for that is demonic possession so they're like well shit maybe if we call it the mangler that'll explain all this bullshit we've put in this movie that we can't otherwise explain that's my only explanation this movie was fucking bullshit. This movie sucks all the dicks. I I I mean, I, this is just I I took had to take breaks like 17 minutes in. I took like an hour break, just walked away, and had to come back. I I briefly considered just scrapping this whole episode and just start rolling again and, and finding a new franchise to watch. That's how fucking bad this was. I'm already one movie into this trilogy, and I'm like, maybe I should just fucking start over. This movie is and, and like I want to say that that. Lance Hendrickson saved it, or that he was even the most watchable thing, he's not even watchable in it, this movie is just utter garbage from beginning to end, just the opening song, like I said, it's like early 2000s horror, and very sort of Kevin Williamson in terms of the dialogue, but like Kevin Williamson, I was gonna say done badly, but he wasn't that that good, but like, even Poor Man's version of that, where it's just this really like shitty too clever by half dialogue with these bratty teenagers that I hate and I want them all to die and most of them do but in ways that aren't really satisfying and, and then there's this opening song I might might edit it in here just so that you know the pain that I know But it's and all through it there was one song in the middle I think the lyrics were I got the funk and the funk is in your face and they just kept saying I got the funk and the funk is in your face This movie funked all over my face. Uh, I'm just... uh, After a while, I just started listing, like, basic design flaws and, like, production shit that was terrible. Like, at one point, they go to the basement to show, like, the mainframe of the machine, and they're using the ambient sound of the... Like, they they didn't ADR it or anything. Like, you can hear the echoes of the basement. Like, that's just basic shit! And, (laughs) like... Um, oh, well, at one point they're talking about, uh, the one girl is like a computer hacker. Cause of course it's the early two thousands and she's the one that downloads the mangler virus to get revenge against the Dean. Cause he's an asshole. And he's, she's talking to this guy and she's got Mandelbrot sets all over her walls as like posters. And he's asking what they are. And she's explaining what a Mandelbrot set what well, she calls it just a, M- a Mandelbrot, which is like, it's like a mathematical formula to find order from chaos. And, and then you think, oh, well, that's like a, that's a literate somewhat intelligent reference for this really stupid movie to make, and then uh, she has one on her shirt, and he looks at her shirt and says, oh, so these Mandel boobies? Like he like, like a Freudian slip, Mandel boobies. You ruined the one intelligent reference you made in this entire movie, and not even for a funny joke. I mean, it's a joke, but it's not a funny joke, and this movie, it's just so cheap. Like, this movie is basically security cameras turning to look at things, the movie, that's that's every every other scene is like an ominous shot of a security camera turning, but every security camera is different, which sounds like a nitpick. But like, if this is a security system that was all funded by the same guy, it was like one of the the benefactors of the school funds this advanced security system. It's actually the the daughter is one of the is the final girl in this. The daughter of the the rich guy that donated the security system that gets hacked. You'd think that they would all be uniform in terms of the technology that it used. Do you think that there wouldn't be a different brand of camera with every one but if you were a cheap place that that wherever they filmed this i don't know where they filmed it you would maybe cheap out and buy different cameras whatever was cheapest whatever you could afford so that's what you get in this movie and and after a while it's like the webcams on computer screens just ominously turning that that's your movie fuck you movie and and just some of the kills are so i I mean like i said the, the girl one girl gets sucked i think into a laundry machine but it's not It's not shown well, like, what is even happening. Like, her hair gets caught into something, and you can see, like, I guess it's scalping her or something, but it never really shows what it is. And then later on, they go down a hallway. They, They go, like, well, why don't we just walk out the door? And they go towards the door... And you see the actors reacting to something, they're looking directly at the camera, and then they cut to the insert of what they're looking at in the hallway, and you cannot tell what it is. It's something crawling on the ground, like maybe it's like, it looks like maybe a Roomba or something, but it's not something that's been previously established at all in the movie, so we don't know what it is, and it's not shot in a way that it's clear what it is, it's just something ominously moving, and it scares them, but like no you have to show what that is and then at one point one of the the characters gets trapped in a room and the sprinkler system goes off and it's boiling water or, or maybe acid I don't even know but in either case that's not something sprinkler systems can do so that doesn't make any fucking sense you can maybe drown him I guess it would take a long time in fact you probably couldn't because it, it's not a an airtight seal it would seep under the this movie was fucking garbage and oh, and right before that scene where uh, you know he's talking to the computer, he's he's on a laptop, no, he's on a desktop computer, and the the virus is talking to him, the AI virus, and he's a black guy. And I say that to point out that just because there's a joke where he's talking to the the computer, and the computer says, "Hey, don't you know that the black guy doesn't always die first? What you mean in the movie like this? The movie that we're in, that you apparently know you're in all of a sudden. And you know, if it had been all meta like that, maybe maybe I'd give it to him. But it's like that's the only thing where like he's breaking the fourth wall and, and acting like he knows he's in a movie. I say he, the virus. I don't. I got I got nothing for this movie. This movie was just unfucking watchable. This movie, you know, again, I wasn't like a. I mean, I wasn't like in love with the first Mangler, but I, I had fun with it. This, this just shat in my face for an hour and a half. Oh no! And I forgot. There's a jump scare. There's I'm looking at my notes. now. I'm just reading off my notes, trying to get over with this. There's a jump scare, where you know jump scares where that's like a fake out, like you're going through something, you hear a rustling, and then it turns out oh it's just a mouse. They have that in this movie, but it's not a mouse. It's a guy taking a shit. It's like oh what's what's what is happening? What's go? Is there something in that room? And then it's the bathroom, and a guy comes out. Oh just taking a shit. And normally I I think that was funny if I thought it was on purpose, if like that was the joke that it was a parody of, of fake jump scares, but. No, I think I think it was supposed to be real. And so many of these things I, I just I I don't know. I the camera work is just it's so so bland. The, 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 the every shot is just very static and just disgusting. I mean I guess people do get mangled so if you want to say it's a mangler movie oh there's a point where there's a jump cut that they try to disguise it as like the virus's POV through a camera I think because they they fucked up lines and didn't want to reshoot it so there's like multiple jump cuts in the same point of dialogue that you just don't you don't do that stuff and then at the very end like all the guys die except for the final girl well my favorite character is the chef and he's just he's he knows what movies he's in and he just hates these kids just like i do and he's just i mean he's the only watchable part of the movie he gets third billing he's that important a character because none of the characters are supposed to care about the kids are that interesting but anyway he escapes and then the final girl is going to face off against lance henriksen and up to this point in one scene, early on, you met a security guard that was, I guess, friends with her, I think? Or I, maybe he's a relative. They never really establish it. But he drives away, and then presumably several hours pass, eight, ten hours maybe, and then he comes back just at the very end just to, to kill the bad guy because apparently the final girl couldn't do it because she's a girl. I I guess. I don't know. I th- This review is all over the place. This isn't barely a review. I have nothing more to say about this movie other than never fucking watch this this is the worst i've what this is the 22nd 23rd episode depending on how you count the specials and stuff this is the worst fucking thing i've seen for this podcast by a wide margin and i'll say it i don't anticipate finding something worse than this i'm sure it'll happen eventually but i think this time it will be a long time before i see something that is worse than this i say that of course but I'm about to watch the Mangler 3, the Mangler Reborn, which I mean I don't know. I've actually heard that it's a little better, but not by much, and maybe not even as good as the first one, which again wasn't that good, as much fun as I had with it. But I I don't I have nothing for this. this. Fuck this movie so hard in its ass it it needs to get mangled that's the oh that's the other thing there's a lot the virus that's its, its catchphrase basically you just got mangled and then at the at the very end of the movie she kills helance Hay- hendrickson and uh she's just she reconciles with her dad she had a bad relationship with her dad and then she's just laying in the park and she's, she's talking to her dad on the phone and then the computer screen that she's at says uh you just got mangled the mangler is still alive who gives a fuck Oh my god. This movie is just it betrays the original and and there wasn't that much in the original to betray. Oh god damn. Okay, I'm I'm stopping this now. I'm done with this shit. I'm going to watch The Mangler 3 and hopefully not fucking kill myself. Please help me. <laughs> And I'm back, and I just watched The Mangler Reborn, and I too have been reborn, uh, like a phoenix from the ashes of that shitty movie I just watched five minutes ago to this new movie that, well not new, it came out several years ago, but it it renewed my faith in, well I guess not in the Mangler franchise, it's not like I've got another one of these. It it was a good movie, I guess the metaphor kind of got lost there, sorry about that. Again, sorry if I sound differently, I, I jostled again, so... But, uh, but no, I watched The Mangler Reborn or The Mangler 3, and I, I guess I forgot to mention, I, I didn't even look up the guy's name, or rather I, I looked it up and then forgot it. The director of Mangler 2, you, you know, like I say, I, I like to highlight the directors and talk about what else they've done. He didn't do anything. This was That was the only movie he ever directed, and fucking good. So I don't have to sit through any more of them for this podcast, or for any other reason. And I looked up the, the director of this, I... I uh, I saw only one other movie that that is really of interest, at least for the purposes of this podcast. His name is Eric Gardner, and he did a movie called Monsterland a couple years ago, which I, I believe I have that in my, my digital collection of films, uh, but I've never seen it before, so that might come up. That I might do that for my, uh, my modern category, where I do movies post-2000s. Uh, but again, that's down the road, if I select it randomly out of 8,000 other possible movies. Uh, but anyway, Mangler Reborn... I mean, I would say technically well, more well-made, or, or at least better executed than even the first Mangler movie, which obviously had a much bigger budget. I mean, the the first Mangler didn't have that big a budget relative to uh, the kind of movie it was. I, I mean, it was theatrically released, whereas the, the sequels were both straight-to-video. But for a... It, I mean, this was a seems like a micro-budgeted movie. This, I, I doubt this even had the budget of Mangler 2, and Mangler 2 looked like shit. But this did so much more with its small budget. Just right from the beginning... You know, the, the opening scene, one, the opening scene is connected thematically so much better to the original Mangler. It gives you all the stuff s- set up from that movie, and it doesn't necessarily pay off all of it, ultimately. But you know, you have a guy who uh, has become obsessed with this this device, which you, will, you later find out is a sort of modified, rebuilt version of the original Mangler, and he, he spent his savings buying it. And it, you know it's it's destroyed his marriage, and then eventually you, you find out he's he's possessed by it. Essentially, he's talking to it, like you know he's sort of worshiping it, and then he kills his wife, and you know he so he's he's in he's on board with this demonic possession, and they even have an opening little definite like the Webster's De- De- dictionary definition of demonic possession, uh, but then and then you have the the opening credits. And this is where I'm, I'm talking about like a low budget done well. They're just newspaper clippings of like articles that give you backstory of you know deaths at this laundromat and and this guy who spent a record m- amount of money on this device at an auction and all these you know the little bits and pieces that fill in the backstory in between. Obviously skipping that part where it possessed a computer network at a school that nobody gave a shit about. But uh, you know it sets everything up and it's literally just you know paper that the camera is and it's like in camera gliding across this collage of of text and it works i mean it it it's very cheap to do and it it functions for for what you need it to to without you know you don't need to pay for expensive well relatively expensive you know on screen effects work even for for opening credits and a lot of the movie felt like you know, m- me and my friends do this thing every year called the 48-hour film festival. It's it's a national thing. They we do it in Columbus, Ohio, and actually we just did it a couple of months ago. And it's you make and sh- uh, you write, shoot, produce the whole bit a short film. Uh, I think five to seven minutes in two days in 48 hours. It's over a weekend, and a lot of the movies, as you would expect, look somewhat amateurish because they only have so much time to do shot set setups and everything. And this m- movie, a lot of the times, it, it looked like the The high end of those, where you know the lighting and the camera work or, or or just the the production value felt somewhat amateurish. But it still felt like somebody who had the the talent of a professional, even if they didn't have the resources of one, if that makes any sense. But just all yeah, all around, it felt like they cared about this movie, which I mean, I got that sense with with Toby Hooper and the original to a point. But they're still goofing around. They're still having fun with it, and they're making a bad movie, sort of knowingly. And and you know, they kind of know that you know that that's what they're doing. Whereas this movie, they tried to clearly lend this some sense of legitimacy. They, whether or not they loved the original or not, they at least committed to it and and really just leaned into it. And I, I really appreciated that it treated the material seriously and and you know tried to make the best movie they could with what they had even though what they had was a killer laundry press. But, I mean, even then, they kind of forget about that. Like, you could probably take the mangler out of this, and it, it would just be a slasher film about a, a serial killer with a weird obsession. It just happens to be that his obsession is jamming people into this weird machine, like, feeding this this machine. And he's, he's modified it, so now it's basically just a, a kill slew sort of thing. It doesn't even have its original purpose of being a laundry machine. But like I said you could take that out he could just be killing them or, or have any other kind of modus operandi and it would 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 essentially function the same but even then the the story itself is it, it's it's fun it's interesting it's it's kind of a novel twist on the typical formula for this kind of movie because you have you establish the killer and even in in the context of the movie you could you don't necessarily have to allow for the fact that it's demonically Possessed. It could be just a machine that he built. It could be on his head. Is what I'm saying. The the demon isn't necessarily presented as obviously, explicitly real in the movie, and I think that's that's a good thing. And I, I think I think all around they were trying to make this movie self-contained, where you don't necessarily have to have seen the original two movies to enjoy this. And I think that that is the case. It, I mean, it's it's nothing like the the original or the short story or anything in in terms of its structure, but. It, it just has those elements where if you have seen the original, you can kind of key into that, but if not, you know, you can still appreciate it just for what it is, and it's this guy who's, he, like I said, he's obsessed with this machine, and he's kidnapping women and and, and sending them through it, and there's a, the, the right after the opening when you see he's, he's a door-to-door, hand, not door-to-door handyman, but he's a guy you would call to, like, fix your, your sink or your plumbing or whatever, and... This woman, who's she's just uh, lost her job, and her, her boyfriend's left her, and she's in a really bad place, and her uh, washer or dryer, what those, I guess would be the washer, starts to leak. So she calls this guy, and you've already seen him kill his wife. You know he's crazy, and he's got a hammer, and he's you know in the background. She's, she, And, of course, she doesn't suspect anything at first, so she's just sitting there at the kitchen table, and you see him slowly creeping on her, and then you know, putting the hammer away when she turns around and engaging in casual conversation, and then immediately becoming this sort of stoic monster figure, and then eventually he, he he hammers her on the head, that's his big thing is he has this, this sludge hammer and he just whacks people over the head with it, and he kidnaps her and takes her to his house, but the the complication, or the, the, the weird kind of twist to it, is there are these two guys that are casing his house in order to rob it and they don't know anything about the fact that he's a serial killer or anything like that. They're just guys who break into houses when they, they see that they're empty. Uh, one of them is actually Reggie Bannister, who uh, most people would know him from the Phantasm movies. He's the guy that I think was in, has, was in all of them. They, they recasted some of the other roles via Studio Dictate in the middle. I've actually not seen all those movies. That's another franchise that I, I plan on watching for this show eventually. But Reggie Bannister, he's like the older guy who I think was friends with the director, and he's in all of them, and he kind of got a, a cult horror movie career from from that, but isn't really a household name necessarily, not even to the level of like Bruce Campbell or Jeffrey Combs. But if you if you've seen Phantasm or if you've seen like particularly schlocky horror movies, you probably might re- you would probably recognize him. But anyway, he's one of these uh, these criminals, and it's a father son pair, which is kind of interesting. That the kind of engine of the plot is the dad goes in first. That's Reggie Bannister, and he's ca- he's looking through the place, and it's, it's again a very clever sort of way that the scene is planned out, where he's he's casually missing all the evidence of this guy being a serial killer he turns on the light and you see in the back background there's like all these bloody handprints on the walls where he obviously dragged his victims upstairs and they were like sort of, sort of clawing against the wall but he doesn't see it right away and then he goes in and he he's looking and he doesn't see anything worth stealing but then he finds like all these wallets in a drawer from all the people that, that the guy killed and that's the first his first hint like why would he have all these wallets here and leave the money in them and he doesn't you know he, he's kind of putting it together and then of course he goes back out and he sees the wall for the first time and he's just... It it slowly dawns on him where he is and and what the consequences of that are and that's when he finds his latest victim, the the one he hasn't killed yet, locked in a room and he's trying to... He has to decide, like, do I risk getting arrested or being here too long getting caught to rescue this girl or do I leave her behind? And... uh, and that's that's an interesting dynamic in itself because they have different opinions on that. the The Reggie Banister's character, he's more sympathetic to the woman and says like, "No, I can't, I can't just leave her here. I got to help her." But he, you know, he he can't do it right, fast enough, and he gets fucked. And then the son comes in, but the son doesn't give a shit. He's like, "No, I I don't. I only care about my dad. I'm not. I don't care about rescuing this lady." You know. So they have different points of view on that. The only problem is, ultimately, none of it really matters. They both. I mean. It's, I'm spoiling these at this point. They both die. This ultimately becomes a, an, another final girl story, where uh, the girl that's kidnapped in the beginning, well, the, the girl that he's trying to rescue dies, and then is replaced by the girl that's kidnapped in the beginning, and she becomes sort of the final heroine. And then they, they introduce the the guy's daughter, who you saw in kind of photographs earlier, and then she comes by, and you think maybe she's going to be an answer, maybe even an antagonist, maybe she's going to turn out to be working with the dad, or maybe not. But it doesn't really amount to much once it actually gets into the the slasher film mold, it becomes a lot less interesting, or it just becomes about you know cat and mouse games and kills and back and forth. You know, is she gonna escape? No, she's not. Oh, maybe she will. No, she won't. And it's also somewhat nihilistic too. It it, it ends on a, a fairly downer note. Uh, I won't I won't spoil it specifically, but just, yeah, suffice to say, it's it's not like it's not particularly triumphant. Which I feel like, and this is more just my preference, when you have a grueling experience like this where where one character that you're meant to identify with goes through this harrowing situation and you're constantly being faked out as to whether or not she'll survive it, he or she, I feel like you need to end on on a note of triumph for me. or Either that or, like, a completely over-the-top nihilistic ending, whereas this, it's somewhere in the middle, and I just, I don't know, it it kind of fell flat for me. But overall, the movie's just so well done. And, I mean, not anything amazing. It's not any movie that I'm, like, I'm going to need to see again. But just relative to the rest of the franchise it's so much more well made and there's a, a focus and there's a vision to it where it's clear they wanted to make something good and they they got this idea and they they stuck with it and it's it's consistent it's cohesive you know it's it's exactly what I, I think they they wanted it to be based on what they thought they could do with the budget and the time and the resources they had and they fully accomplished it and that i mean that that is an accomplishment in itself you know the the, the first one Yes, it's more fun. Yes, it gets crazier, but it it also, I don't know, it, it's messier. It it, it it plays around a lot. It's it's goofy, and it knows it, and that's part of the fun, but I would have always appreciated the more serious version more, where they, they took it seriously and tried to make it as good as they could, and that's what this movie did, and so I, I very much appreciated that. So Mangler Reborn, I would provisionally, or for the most part, recommend the movie. In fact, this is probably one of the few times I will say this in one of these franchise episodes. I would recommend the movie even if you didn't bother watching the other ones. I'm such a completist when it comes to that thing. If, I'm one of those guys where I, I always get in arguments with my friend Nate where he, he always talks about like TV shows. Like, well, where should I start with a TV show? Should I start in season two or three or when does it get good? And I was like, fuck you. Watch it from the beginning. You know, Respect the people who made it and watch it from the beginning. I'm always like that. And and I would say that I mean I'm going to say that generally as as a general rule and even for the Mangler as much as you shouldn't watch Mangler 2 if you're going to watch these movies watch them from the beginning watch them all know the good know the bad know the slightly better than good at that being said if you're if you're like my friend Nate and you don't care about any of that I can recommend to you the Mangler Reborn independent of the other films I would at least or I would at least say watch this and then watch the first one or or vice versa and if, if you're that person that you, where you you're not like me and you can actually skip these if you don't have OCD and you have to watch everything that's connected to it, skip two. Don't don't ever watch two, please. In fact, you know what? Fuck it. Even if you're a completist, even if you think like if I if I don't watch all the movies in the franchise, something bad will happen. Still, nothing bad that might happen in your OCD-addled brain is gonna be as bad as you having to watch Mangler two. I can tell you that much. In that oddly specific scenario I've just posited. Don't watch it. It's fucking terrible. Like I said, first one, not bad. Third one, a little better. Not as crazy, but a little better. Second one, it's it is it is movie cancer. And and I, I, I cannot in good conscience uh, compel anyone to see it. Uh, but that's that's all I got for this franchise. I, I mean I'm gonna go into I'm gonna go into my my ten point cinematic universe plan, but as far as just a, an overall kind of retrospective view and, and like, coming away from it with any lessons learned, other than, you know, well, because I, I was going to say, like, am I better for it? Yeah, I liked the first one. I liked the third one. The The second one almost made me kill myself. And I know, I, I guess I say that a lot, and that's, maybe I shouldn't be flippant with that reference. That didn't make me kill myself. That's People actually do kill themselves, and I shouldn't make light of that. But this this movie was so that movie was so bad, and yeah, it was so bad that I'm thinking like as much as I like the other ones, it probably would have been better if I hadn't started this, if I'd done something else, if I had ultimately re-rolled or decided on something else. I feel like anything else would have been better. Like three mediocre movies would have been better than that fucking second movie. And as again, as much as I enjoyed this one, I yeah, it's not it's not worth it. It's not worth having to sit through that. So yeah, just don't 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 ever do this. Don't do what I did. Don't watch the Mangler series. But if you do, skip number two. Uh, that That's it for that. So that, that gets me to my, my cinematic universe. I'm not going to bother breaking here. I'm already sitting here and I don't want my the tone of my voice to change again if I reposition the mic. Uh, so anyway, uh, that gets me to my cinematic universe. And uh, uh, here we go. Okay, so starting uh, as always, spoilers. If if you don't want to be spoiled any more than than you already have been for the Mangler franchise, because you're totally gonna go see the Mangler movies, right? Uh, but no if you if you do want to watch these and and i'm gonna have to spoil some stuff with with the ending maybe actually i don't know about this one but in order to continue them with sequels and prequels and spinoffs and so forth sometimes i have to reveal stuff that i wouldn't have necessarily revealed in a review so if you don't want to be spoiled stop listening now go watch the movies except for the second one because you should never watch the second one and then come back here and uh Uh, enjoy my podcast anew. Uh, Also, if you want to email the podcast, it's headcanonpodcast at gmail.com. That's H-E-A-D C-A-N-N-O-N P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. The website is the same spelling, headcanonpodcast.blogspot.com, but please email with questions, comments, insults, whatever you like, but specifically requests. If you want to request a movie for me to review in my regular series, I will pretty much do anything that's requested of me as long as I can afford it and it's not like a snuff film. So uh, please do that if that is something that interests you, and I will watch it, review it, expand out the cinematic universe for it. I've already done a couple of these so far, and I, I hope to get more in the future. So uh, that's something, and that's it. So, so, so starting with the sequel, like I do as always, and uh, I, I came up with these a little bit quickly, at least relative to my other episodes, just because I've already watched three movies, and I'm already kind of getting sick of this, and I just want to get it over with. That's, that's professional podcast behavior, right? So... Uh, I'm just gonna say some of these aren't necessarily uh, as interesting as they might otherwise be if I'd put more thought into them as I normally do uh, but number one the sequel and I'm saying you bring back the the uh, Ted Levine character and now he's become like a, a demonic bounty hunter essentially you know he was left in the the end of the third or the first film and I, I don't think I spoiled this originally in the in the review he uh they they get away from the the mangler him and the girl who is. Freddy Krueger's niece, uh, fucking uh, Robert England's niece, and before they leave, or before they escape, her hand got caught in the mangler and she lost a finger, and like I said, there's that that sort of posthumous warning letter from the JJJ picture man saying like, oh, uh, you know, don't trust anybody who's lost a finger because they're a part of it. And she is revealed to be a part of it. I guess she wasn't before that, but you know, like I said, Robert England dies at the, in the at the end of the movie. He goes back to the factory to find the Mangler is back in operation. He's like, "What the fuck? Ha- what the fuck's happening?" They they've you know hired a new foreman because the foreman died as well, and you find out that the girl is now in charge of the company, and she's just as evil as, as Robert England's character, and, you know, that's sort of the the Outer limits sort of twist ending, and he's crestfallen, he came there with flowers, and he throws them away, and just walks away, and, you know, he kind of leaves the place, he, he basically sort of gives up, the whole movie, he was sort of, like, the last honorable man, like, this town, you know, he wasn't even necessarily saying it in this this way, but it was like, like, he was the last example of, this town's possible redemption and then when he sees that that this this innocent girl you know has sort of succumbed to the evil of the machine he just gives up and says fuck this town and then just you know now the last honorable man has even given up on it uh so that that's that's where it ends so i'm saying he went on from that point as this kind of demonic bounty hunter specifically hunting down the pieces of the mangler because the idea is you know you have it, it back in operation at the end of the first movie but then something happens, and and you know maybe if you want to incorporate the the hacking stuff in the second movie, or just ignore the second movie altogether. But by the the time of the third movie, the Mangler has been sold at auction to this guy, who eventually uh, starts listening to the demon and becomes possessed by it, and rebuilds it in his house. And he rebuilds it basically is like like I said like a, a, a an assembly line for a butcher shop essentially. Like it's just all these knives that come down when you go when you go through it. So I'm saying after that, it. But uh, it was junked. Basically, the the Mangler was sent to like a, a um like a well yeah like a junkyard, and its pieces were spread out and disseminated across various places. In some cases, you have like people who are obsessed with serial killers and serial killer memorabilia, stealing pieces of it for their own personal collections. Sometimes it's just people who needed a part for something and they bought it and it happened to be a part from this machine or just a gear or something, or, or just for various purposes, various ends. These pieces were disseminated across the country and every place they went the demonic influence went with it like the, the technology will incorporate itself into another piece of technology and so just like in the movie you, you also have like a possessed refrigerator just because it came in contact with it now all of these other devices old and new are, are becoming possessed by the demon and, and requiring sacrifice and convincing the people that own them to sacrifice to them in order to gain fame, fortune or whatever they want so you have like maybe maybe one of the pieces goes into a car maybe one of the pieces goes into a, a garage or a, a garbage truck that starts eating people you, know, you have all these different avenues of you know, industrial technology getting possessed by de- demonic influence, and Ted Levine is now hunting all of these objects, well, all of these now pieces of technology incorporated with demonic influence, and, and trying to destroy them and maybe again if you want to incorporate the second movie which i really don't maybe he recruits the the girl as sort of his hacker like his watchtower like helping him out and tracking them and then he hunts them down and, and exercises the demon from them and he's trying to collect all the pieces and then i'm thinking like it's sort of like the uh, the second castlevania game where like the first game if you, you fight dracula the second game for some reason you're collecting the pieces of dracula in order to ri- revive him i believe like Maybe he wasn't killed the right way the first time, so you have to bring him back to life so you can kill him the right way so he'll stay dead. So that's sort of the idea, is he needs to rebuild the Mangler in order to destroy it correctly. Because they fucked up the first time, they fucked up the exorcism, and brought it to life and made it stronger than ever, and that's why it's able to possess other things and other people, ultimately. So that, that would just be my, my structure for the sequel. I, again, I don't really have a, a specific uh, idea in mind beyond that, but... Uh, that would be the sequel, and that gets me to the prequel. And for this, I would just tell the story of the conspiracy and how it was formulated. The town elders of, I believe it was called Rikers Valley, is the city that they're the the small town that they're in. And I'm saying you have a young uh, Gartner, the the um, Robert England character, or maybe he's a kid. Maybe it's more about his dad, who maybe he's the one who 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 bought the uh, the machine originally. I don't know if they specified that if it was his dad or his grandfather, but whoever that person was, he gradually discovers the the demonic possession of the thing and he's the one he's the one who signs the deal originally essentially and uh, and may- maybe that's that's like a twist where you know he offered up his firstborn but he didn't want to give over his son who we know grows up to be robert england yeah uh, you know, so he he Reneged on his his part of the deal, so the Mangler ate and killed him. The kid sees this, witnesses it, and kind of commits himself to the demon. Says, so, "You know, my dad fucked up, but I'm not going to. I'm I'm loyal to you. If, as long as you reward me with what I want, I don't care that you killed my father because you know he welched on the deal. I won't. So it's sort of the influence of that. And then you have the other Talon elders, maybe raising him as almost like a surrogate son. Like he sort of brings them together, or or maybe maybe it's more of like a like a Stephen King It thing where they're all kids, and then they all grow up, but it's, like, the reverse of that, where they're the they're the evil characters that succumb to the evil, rather than the good characters that fought it, something like that, uh, actually, that's kind of an interesting idea, like, it, it from the perspective of, like, the bully kids, you know, of course, they, I mean, they all either die or go insane, but but I, th- I think, I don't remember how they did that in the book, I mean, I know they had the, the child orgy in the book, but I don't remember if the... The bully kids—if—if if that all happened the same in the book as it did in the—in the—the 90s version. I know they, they mostly cut them out of the—the the new version, but—but uh, but yeah, something like that, like like the evil twisted version of that kind of coming of age nostalgic story. And I would have it set in like the 60s, where you know these kids are growing up, and there's th- this idea of social change, rapid social progress, but there's also this kind of idyllic version of the 50s and the 40s where you know as long as those black people and those women weren't you know trying to get out from the back of the bus and out of the kitchen and the gay people were trying to get out of the closet before all that happened and it was just nice and white and calm and everybody liked each other you know that sort of bullshit conservative idea of what the past was and so that's part of this deal is to try to preserve that so it's a very kind of white privilege idea that like we're gonna we're gonna succumb to a demon in order to in order to preserve our our status in society and not lose it to all the brown people basically like so there's there's a racist underpinning to it because they they kind of briefly obliquely touch on that in the movie where they talk about like how nice rikers valley is relative to the rest of the world and it seems very much like like a, you know, a David Lynch movie where it's like the, the surfacey niceness and then the darkness underneath. So I'm saying that, that we explicitly racialize that and kind of explore that element of it, that, you know, they did it to preserve their version of what the town should be, which is obviously sort of a, a backwards, a regressive version of that. Uh, so that that would be the idea for the prequel and that gets me to spin off and for this there there weren't a lot of really good options i finally settled on one and i'm i'm going with jjj picture man the morgue guy who who takes the pictures uh, for the 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 forensics people and for the police and i'm saying we just make this guy the chronicler of the stephen king universe he basically goes from town to town as a freelance crime scene photographer and he has seen it all and they they present that in the movie that he i mean he knows about the supernatural pact with the devil that that all the town elders have made so i'm saying he also knows about a bunch of other shit he knows about uh you know pennywise from it he knows all you know, he he goes to to what's that dairy dairy in maine or you know, he goes to castle rock even that that new show you know he goes to uh, wherever that the, the, was the town and storm of the century you know he he's been there for all of these things seeing the aftermath of it and he's got the pictures and so it's all sort of his his life going through these various experiences and and like the few times maybe he he decided to break his personal role and investigate for himself and it always ended badly it always ended in tragedy and trauma but you know every once in a while his conscience gets the better of him and he has to help some people out but for the most part he's just there to be sort of the the guy at the end who takes the pictures of the aftermath so that there will be a record at some point, you know, when he dies and when all is said and done, he, he can get, well, in this case, he gives it to Ted Levine. He says, hey, this is my collection, you know, so I'm, or maybe, maybe that's it. Maybe it's all posthumous. Maybe in addition to the letters and stuff that he sent to Ted Levine, he sent it to another character, and and it's them going through all of these pictures and exploring this secret history of the world where all this weird supernatural shit happened that nobody talks about. So that would, that would be my idea. JJJ Picture Man, uh, photographer at large, chronicling the Stephen King universe, and you can just basically do like an anthology format where you retell... The stories you're familiar with, you know, Cujo, for example, but just, you know, in a sort of, what do they call that, a pistoleric or pistolot, the, the the way Carrie was actually written, where it's in, all done in, like, articles and, and letters and things, uh, I can't remember what the, the name of that genre is, but it'd be sort of like the photographic equivalent of that, where you're exploring these stories in a different structural way. Uh, so there anyway, that's it for that. And that gets me to cross over. And this, I, I feel like, is cheating a little bit. I'm crossing it over with the last franchise episode I did with Tetsuo the Iron Man, just because I was thinking about that at the time, and I, I felt like it kind of worked. And, you know, this is the idea of demonic possession in an industrial or technological context. Technology coming to life, springing to demonic and destructive life uh, through magic. And I'm saying that we just kind of change around the mythology of... Tetsuo, which isn't really that well-formed anyway, and just say that it's also a part of this process. And the, the two mythologies kind of inform each other, ultimately, where I'm saying that, that what we saw in the Mangler is part and parcel of what we saw in Tetsuo and vice versa, where it's the same thing. It's the same kind of spiritual influence. And I'm saying it's flat out the the Seven Deadly Sins. They've evolved, they've Adapted to the the industrial age, to the technological age, and they have become kind of like techno gremlin spirits, and. All of the examples, even the ones we've seen already in the movie, and new ones that we would introduce in the crossover, are are part of this this uh, kind of paradigm of of these seven deadly sins and what they represent for the world. So you have, like, lust would be the one from Tetsuo because he's got the drill dick, and they're all he's always you know fucking shit, and at the end they merge together. And I talked about the 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 homosexual metaphor that I I saw in that that film, at least the first one. So I'm saying that was lust in you know whatever this techno viral form and i'm saying there's multiple stages like the idea is these spirits, they can possess objects, but they ultimately want to possess people. But there's like a blood-brain barrier sort of thing, or the magical equivalent of it, where they they have to perform this ritual in order to have a person compromise themselves so much that they become open to this demonic possession. And that's what happens with Tetsuo in, in the, those various movies. Uh, but it hasn't necessarily happened with, like, the mangler. It's still stuck in the machine, I'm saying. But by the end of, by, like, the third uh, Mangler movie, that was sort of almost happening with the serial killer guy. He'd, he'd, he'd done enough ritual sacrificing that he was becoming more and more part machine to the point where i I didn't mention this in the review but he is i think he's sort of like a zombie like he has to uh, sacrifice people in order to maintain his his form so he doesn't rot i think that's what they imply it's it's done very sort of subtly you have to kind of read that into it i also read that in the the description as after i watched it and that's kind of how they analyzed it so uh, i don't know if that's that's accurate or not but but anyway, the idea is you have this these demons that are trying to become manifest in a, a human form, or at least to take over a human body, and so you have Tetsuo's lust, you have obviously uh, gluttony would be the, uh, the, the mangler, because it's you know, it's eating people, it needs to feed, uh, but then you can also have uh, like wrath, I thought would be the, the viral form of, of Tetsuo in the second film, uh, Tetsuo Body Hammer, because it's all about guns and, and gun fetishism. Uh, and maybe you can say it's the same for the bullet man Uh, but maybe that's another one that has somehow graduated from the thing it was possessing to uh, possessing an actual person but then you can also have like, like Sloth would be like one of those new lazy boys that have the electronics and stuff in them so it's like the most comfortable chair possible I was thinking about Deathbed the bed that eats people and doing like a multiple crossover but I, I don't know. The, I think that's a little, being a little cheeky. But if you want to throw that... I mean, it doesn't matter. I don't have a plot for this beyond this this sort of construction. Uh, but I'm also saying like, greed could be uh, like a slot machine in a casino or maybe an entire casino where it's bouncing from machine to machine. And it's just like the house always wins becomes a literal sort of demonic uh, effect. Uh, and then, as I said, Gluttony was the Mangler. Pride, I'm thinking if you want to incorporate Mangler 2, maybe Pride is... Sort of social media made manifest, just our self-centeredness in technological form that we build these bubbles of epistemological closure around each around ourselves. And you know, it's it's just the idea of that. The technological equivalent of that is you know in the cloud, and that's that's the demon that represents pride. And so I'm saying, uh, and then that leaves envy, which is uh, I'm again this one I, I had a hard time with. I was thinking something that's like a status symbol, something that you get, a piece of technology that you buy so that others will you know will be jealous of you and what I settled on was like a nice like classic car like a new car or something like like you know you see your reflection in it and you want it you want to steal it you want to buy or you want it for yourself and then I thought Christine you know the, the another Stephen King book. Maybe that was you, you. It was thought to be a ghost, but it's actually a representative of that demon, or that creature, and it's it's in that form and it's compelling you to possess it because you're you're envious of the person that already does. So that's the spirit of envy living in that that machine. And so I'm saying all of these these sins personified come together maybe it's in a, in a conflict sense maybe the, some of them th- that are possessed but still have some sense of human will use their powers to fight the others maybe it's like a, a a battle to the death sort of thing the last remaining one gets to once they're all you know possessing a human form they get they have to fight each other to the last and whoever lives gets i don't know what, whatever the reward would be but that would be sort of the uh like a mortal combat kind of fighting game structure to the movie uh, but that's that's it that's my crossover And uh, that gets me to, I I say gritty reboot this week's not going to be gritty. It's going to be the opposite of gritty. And I don't know why I thought of this. I guess I was just thinking back to the original film and the, like I talked about the sense of humor, Toby Hooper, that that was very underestimated uh, often. And... I ultimately settled on Adam McKay to best capture that. Adam McKay, if you don't know, he's the guy who directed uh, Anchorman and, and a lot of Will Ferrell stuff. And I'm saying just go full on Anchorman reunion cast. You can have you know Will Ferrell as the Ted Levine character, or maybe John C. Riley. I think they can be interchangeable. One playing the Ted Levine character, one playing the Robert England character, uh, or maybe you have like Steve Carell play the the, the Robert England character, and maybe uh, John C. Riley is the best friend, the the occultist. Uh, or maybe even oh no that that's not even David Koechner would be perfect for the Robert England character just him in braces having to walk all stubbly uh, uh, then I don't know uh, fuck Steve Carell he didn't need to be in it because uh, <laughs> I don't hate Steve Carell by any means I just I'm that's I'm, I'm mapping it out now I think Will Ferrell for Ted Levine uh, John C Riley for the occultist and then uh, David Keckner for the Robert England character, maybe maybe Steve Carell can be JJ Picture Man or JJJ Picture Man, I, I can't leave out the third J, uh, but anyway that, that would be it, and I, I, I don't have anything else for that, I just think that'd be, be kind of fun to do like like, they're, just, they're doing a, a movie now this year, like a Sherlock Holmes thing with with Farrell and, and John C. Riley. So, like, it's a parody, but that's obviously a parody of something everybody knows. I think it'd be weird to just do a parody of this obscure movie that nobody knows about, The Mangler from 1995, but with Will Farrell and all these modern actors in it. So that's what I'm throwing out there for my, my reboot. Uh, and that gets me to TV Show. Uh, this is the back half for all the stuff that uh, uh, isn't movies. And let's start with the TV show. And for this, I mean, we already have Castle Rock. It's a new show out on Hulu right now. You can watch it. I quite enjoy it. I've, I've enjoyed it so far. And uh, I'm just saying we do, like, sort of the, the poor man's version of that. We do Rikers Valley. We do this kind of Twin Peaksy 1950s town taken out of time and, and transplanted to the modern day. It feels like, uh, you know, a place out of time. And the reason for that is because that that ethic is being maintained by ritual sacrifice. So you have... You know, essentially a retelling of the same story, but from I'm saying more the daughter, or but in this case the niece's perspective, rather than Ted Levine's. You know, she's a girl that that comes back into town. Maybe her mom dies, and her dad, Robert England. I'm saying make her the daughter rather than the niece. Uh, maybe it's a second daughter maybe the original daughter died years ago when she was just a little kid and she doesn't know anything about the ritual sacrifice obviously but you know she comes back to take care of the uh, the mom's affairs she decides to stay to help out her dad not knowing that he's this evil motherfucker and she slowly uh, introduced into the the dark secrets of the town and Ted Levine's character could also be you know part of that but I'm saying we follow that story and then it could also have sort of a breaking bad structure to it where it's her slow corruption into uh, from an innocent character to you know a very very guilty one uh, as she begins to work with her father and, and kind of see his perspective uh, and then yeah you know, I don't know if maybe I mean th- beyond that like I said it's th- just kind of like twin peaksy atmospheric uh, you know horror TV show set in a small town where you know maybe you find out what happens when the 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 sacrifice fails. Maybe that's the thing. Maybe uh, maybe she's being groomed, the the, the daughter uh, to be the next sacrifice to maintain everything. But she escapes, and then the next season, like that's the culmination of season one, and then in season two you find out. Well, what happens when you infringe on that deal? And I'm thinking maybe like the townsfolk start randomly be becoming cannibals. Like you know maybe I mean whether you want to do the mythology of the seven deadly sins and this is the personification of greed in a machine or not the idea is it's still feeding on human flesh so, you know, if it can't do that if it doesn't do that, then it, it kind of creates acolytes in people, people who will eat human flesh in order to feed it maybe even they, they eat humans and then they have to go to the machine and, like, vomit into the machine. I mean, I guess if you're doing that, you could, it could, you could just say it compels people to jump in, but I think it's maybe more interesting if it's not able to do that, that's why it needs people to sacrifice for it, but if it can't get that, it'll settle for, like, being fed like a baby bird, but by via cannibal throat. <laughs> Via Cannibal Throat. You know, that's a construction of words that I, I don't think I, I ever thought I would say. But uh, anyway, that, that's my TV show idea. And that gets me to video game. And for the video game, I, I was thinking... I, I keep going back to these sort of simulators. Like, you have uh, like dating sims. And, and uh, I think I pitched... Uh, act raiser kind of a thing like a, a civilization sim for a uh, win named amnesia last time and so i'm saying like a managerial simulator where you're basically the robert england character you i mean you're not like a physical like, it's not like a third-person view where you see yourself. You're just the manager of this demonically-influenced company, this corporation, or rather a small business, I would say, and it, you just have to keep it afloat, and occasionally you have to kill one of your employees and hide it and cover it up, and you have to bribe city officials to maintain that lie, and you know, you have to do all this stuff. Like all the regular business stuff, you have to turn a profit and you know, pay salaries and, and you know, work a payroll and keep the lights on and also feed a demon and you groom your daughter for ritual sacrifice and so forth. So, you just all the, the pains of small business ownership and then some. And and do that in game form, and you know obviously there's sort of the vaguely dystopian or fascist or whatever you want to call it, like because of the feeling of being in that laundromat, you know they they have the Auschwitz slogan right up there. So I'm saying you have like a papers please atmosphere if you ever played that game, where you're the in that in that game you're the uh, the guy who stamps the the ticket for the refugees coming into the country, but it's a fascist country that you know you're you're inclined to to reject more people than you accept, and you have to like come up with these reasons for you have to well, you basically have to figure out if their, their information, their documents are valid. And, you know, the more you play it, the more you realize that, you know, there's there's more nefarious shit going on. So I'm saying that, that would be similar to this, but obviously you're the bad guy in this and you kind of know it from the beginning. Uh, but that's my video game. And that gets me to merchandising. And this was this was easily the hardest one. There was really nothing from any of these movies to, to expand out into a, a toy line. I mean, I always go to the action figures and I, I kind of think it might be fun to have like a a uh, Robert England action figure on crutches with leg braces and then maybe he, like he folds up so like you can you get the the Mangler playset and it'll it'll fold him into like a folded man. Uh, and of course the Mangler playset would be fun. Uh, I was kind of thinking of a uh, I don't know I may, I could be just imagining this. I'm almost certain this was real. This might just be my faulty memory, but I seem to remember a toy from the Ghostbusters, the real Ghostbusters the cartoon and it was a toilet with like a mouth and eyeballs and I remember having this toy, and again, maybe maybe I'm just imagining it or thinking of something else, but I, I, I'm i almost certain, because it just seems like such a weird fucking toy to sell, you know, a toilet with fucking mouth and eyes, that's po- like, essentially a, t- a toilet possessed by demons. So I'm saying you can kind of do a line of those, you know, inspired by the mangler. you can have the laundry, laundry thing with with teeth and and you know the snake eye that it has, and you can have other appliances, common appliances that that have uh, those sort of features, and maybe maybe they they're like transformers. They look like regular machines, and then you you know you flip a button, and then it turns into a monster, uh, but like a, like a, a demonic possessed version of a transformer. That's what ki- parents will love for their kids, right? Uh, but more than that, I, I thought. You know, the, the whole thing is like you need to feed the thing blood, and the, the the whole start of it is, you know, somebody cuts their hand on the thing and it bleeds into the thing and that activates something within it, some insatiable blood-sucking spirit. But you know, it's a laundry press too, so that that stuff's gonna go out and into the world. So I'm saying, yeah, and it's gonna have blood on it, and the blood is gonna appear in a pattern relative to however the insides of that machine work. So it's going to come out in probably a vaguely symmetrical way. So I'm pitching blood tie-dye t-shirts where it's like, it's almost like a Rorschach test where you literally put like, almost like you remember like kiss how they put their own blood into the ink for their comic book. So like their own blood would be in it and probably gave a bunch of people herpes. Yeah. I'm saying you do that, but with t-shirts where maybe you even bring in celebrities, people that like, I want, I want the blood of, of Ben, Ben Affleck on my shirt in a specific pattern that i'll have to analyze and see like oh what does this mean to me like a rorschach test but then it looks like bloody tie-dye on a white shirt wouldn't that be fucking awesome and then ben affleck can sign it and in in his own blood And then you get herpes, because I'm certain Ben Affleck has herpes, right? No, I like Ben Affleck. I'm not going to make fun of him, especially kicking a man when he's down. He seems to always be down. It's like he had that period in the mid-2000s where everybody fucking hated his movies, and he came back, and he's a director, and he's great. And then his brother molested ladies, and everybody hated Batman vs. Superman, even though they admitted he was good in it. But it feels like he can't catch a break. Then he gets divorced. Uh, But anyway... I, I don't. I don't want to dwell on the, the doldrums of Ben Affleck's life, uh, but I'm a fan of his. Is what I'm saying. Uh, but anyway, I'm, I'm saying like like tie dye blood T-shirts. I think that'd be fucking cool. Uh, and anyway, that that's it for for merchandising. So that gets me to everyone's favorite part of the podcast: porn parody. And uh, for this, I, I I had some trouble, but I think I, I came came up with something that I like. Uh, and it requires a a bit of explanation it's a particular genre of porn that i've seen but it's not necessarily my cup of tea i will say but i know it exists and i'm i'm transplanting it into this and that's uh, if you've ever heard of fucking machines where they have a lot of them they have where they're like dildos but they're on this like weird kind of piston thing where it's like an automatic thruster and see so obviously there's a lady on it you know or like they have the sideband machines where it's like a thing you sit on and then there's like a thing coming up that, that it's like a you know a vibrator with a stool essentially uh and I don't know if they also have these, but I'm assuming like, I know they must have these where it's like they jerk like automatic jerk off things like like I'm thinking of like the fleshlight, but it has a mechanism in it where it, it like it moves up and down, something like that. I, I don't know if maybe even fleshlight makes one of those fleshlight. If you don't know, it looks like a flashlight with lips on it and you just put it over your dick. Yeah, we're humanity is horrible. Just I should just point that out. I'm talking about three shitty movies all centered around the idea of feeding people to machines, and that, that gets me to lips on a flashlight you put your dick on. Yeah, that, we're doomed. We should, just, we should just give in to Trump and all the ways he's destroying society and just let it happen. But in the meantime, porn parody, I'm saying we do a fucking machine auto-jerk-off porn parody, and it's called The Manguer. And it's a giant machine that all has all these sort of suction, like, kind of dick holes on the side of it. And it needs dudes to stand and get jerked off. Maybe it's even like a glory hole thing. Maybe there's women in, on the other side of the walls. But the idea is that, like, the machine needs cum in the same way the mangler needs blood. It's the mangoer. Like, the mangler, but mangoer. You, you understood it. You're a clever person. You get where I'm coming from. And you're excited about it. I, I can I can sense it, even though I can't hear you or see you, and I know, th- know nothing about you. I feel like you're really into this idea, and you want to see this made on the big screen. They you want to bring back porno theaters so that you can see the man-goer. And I I agree with you. I you know I mean you said it. You brought it up. I'm in agreement. That's the porn parody and and that gets me to the the last segment here the drinking game and for this I'm, I'm saying i watched three movies so i'm gonna have something for each movie one thing to drink to in each movie once again prefacing this by saying don't try this at home i'm not a drinker myself i don't recommend that you be one i mean i'm not gonna judge you if you are you do you uh, live your life the way you want i'm not gonna tell you how but you know i'm just saying don't don't kill yourself on my account this is for entertainment purposes only I'm not recommending that you actually drink every time you see this stuff because a lot of this stuff happens a lot in these movies and I don't want anybody to die of alcohol poisoning. So uh, that's the drinking game for for the Mangler franchise. For the first film, and I'm I'm fairly generic with these because... Yeah, I don't. I don't want to be too clever because again, I, I only have one for each one. So for the first, I'm saying anytime anybody falls into the machine or is fed into the machine, maybe just every time they fall haphazardly where there's not no like justification for it, where it's just oh I'm near the mangler, oh no I'm inside the mangler, then you take a drink. For the second film, well I was gonna say take a drink every time you you feel really just disappointed, like you feel an overriding sense of ennui coming upon you, but. You know, I, I feel like you'd, you, you'd die fairly early on doing that. So I'm saying every time you see a prehensile tentacle wire that, that seems to move on its own accord, even though you know there's no reason why it should be able to because it doesn't have the power to do that, then you take a drink. And then for the third one, I'm just going with hammer wax. Every time the fucking uh, serial killer whacks a lady on the, over the head with a hammer. Well, he whacks one dude over the... I'm trying to he? Maybe both of the dudes, I don't remember. But he whacks a lot of people, non-gender specific uh, (laughs) total equal opportunity whacking in the head with a hammer. And, uh, yeah, I feel like this is the first kind of, you know, me too conscious movie. I feel like it's, it's really, it's a feminist film is what it is. Mangler three. Uh, but no, anytime you see him whack somebody over the head indiscriminately with a hammer, you take a drink. And that's, that's the end of this episode, this marathon fucking hour and a half episode where I talked about three movies one of which was okay the other which was pretty good and the other uh was one of the worst things i've ever seen so that's the episode i hope you enjoyed it and stay tuned next week for a regular episode where i pick a new movie at random again well i picked this series at random i guess but i'll pick a regular movie and then i'll watch it review it and pitch out the cinematic universe for whatever that is and i'll I'll pick those next week Uh, in the meantime as johnny red always says Walk on water, eat bullets, and shit ice cream. Goodbye, everybody.